holy God, thank you so much for this space, for these people, for your church, for your son, who you sent to dwell among us, to be with us, to live with us, to walk with us, to die for us, so that we may experience eternal life with you. Holy Spirit, come, fill this place, fill our hearts, let us receive the message. In your name we pray, amen. Friends, you may go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much, worship team. Amen, amen. He is risen. Amen, amen. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Crossbridge Community Church, friends and family. My name is Jordan. If this is your first time visiting, I am our online pastor and one of our teaching pastors here at C3. And just absolutely humbled and honored to be able to share the Easter message for us today. And if it is your first time visiting, I'd love to connect with you after service and get to know you a little bit. Um, and if this is the place that you call home, thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us as well. And if you are watching online, let us know down in the chat. I'd love to connect with you throughout the service afterwards. But Well, nearly 2,000 years ago, our Savior was born, and he was sent to dwell among us, fully human, fully God, born in the most unruly of ways, uncomfortable of ways. And he walked and he grew and he talked and he laughed and he needed his diaper changed and he laughed and he cried just like humans do. He had friends and probably played sports out back and woodworking with his dad as a carpenter in the family business. He learned in the synagogues and in the temples and he understood the ways of the Jewish culture and the Jewish religion and his family would go to Jerusalem for Passover and he would find himself lost in the streets as he was wandering about himself as teenage boys often do. And then at 30 years old, he took on his calling. He was baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit and he started to walk with the least of these and love and serve everyone and perform miracles. And he went to the widow and he went to the woman and he went to the people who were casted out because of skin diseases and because of financial struggles and because they believed differently than the Jewish culture proclaimed. And he walked with them and he loved them and he served them and he healed them and he loved them. Three years and then he rode on a donkey, not a horse, which symbolized war, but a donkey, which symbolized peace, into the city of Jerusalem. And he turned tables and he flipped over uh, tables to rebuke the arrogant, to let them know that this is my father's house. And he was arrested for it because he was so countercultural. And he was mocked, and he was beaten, and he was nailed to a tree, and crucified. But he didn't stay dead. And that's why we are here today. Because dead people usually stay dead. <laughs> but not Jesus. 
No, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven, establishing once and for all that this is what I came to do. And we may experience eternal life with him. So he rose again. And friends, this is the foundation of our faith. That Jesus lived and that Jesus died and Jesus rose again. Paul actually puts it this way in his letter to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, a church that was struggling with idolatry and worshiping Greek gods. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 14, makes a bold claim that if Jesus was not raised from the dead, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. You may have disagreements on secondary issues, political issues. You may struggle to love certain people. But the hill that we are dying on as Christ followers, what separates us from other religions, other bodies of life, other movements, is that we believe in the resurrected Jesus. And that's not debatable for us. And it changes you when you believe it too. Perhaps this is your first time in the church. Maybe this is uh, a, a place that you've called home for years after years. I just want to let you know you're welcomed here regardless. No matter what you walked into those doors or logged online carrying prior to this moment, it hasn't separated you from the glory of God. And it won't. Perhaps this is your first time hearing a traditional Easter message. Or perhaps you've heard it for 25 years in a row my prayer is the same, that we wouldn't go through the motions today. That we may allow God to speak through us as we read his word and read about the resurrected Jesus and how it can change us and how he can transform us and how when we allow him to work through us, it's game on. This is why we serve. This is why we live. To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to be walking through Luke chapter 24 today and then at the end, Romans chapter 10. So if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 24, if you're unfamiliar with the layout of the Bible, it's divided into two halves. First half, 39 books, is the Old Testament. The second half is uh, the, the, uh, the 27 books. I had to do quick math. There's 66 total. I was going to just say the second half is the remainder of the 66 <laughs> books, but 27 books. And Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are called the four Gospels. They're the testimonial accounts of Jesus. And why I wanted to walk through Luke today and why I love Luke so much is because Luke was a historian. He wanted to go and find testimonial evidence and witness evidence of Jesus' life to gather the information before he guaranteed that this was what happened. And so he recorded it, and he wrote it down, and he uh, had uh, interviews, and he found research, and he found people that walked with Jesus and lived with Jesus and spoke with Jesus, and he recorded all of his life and all of his miracles and all of his, uh, the stories that we read about in, in the different gospels, and then we come to Luke chapter 24. And here's what has just happened. Just a few days prior, Jesus was arrested and beaten and mocked and then crucified. 
and his disciples abandoned him. They fled. Not the women, though. No, 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 no. Luke and the rest of the Gospels tell us that the women were with Jesus to the very end. And in fact, they were the first ones then to rise Sunday morning and go to anoint and honor Jesus' body. And that's where our story picks up. Luke chapter 24, verse 1, if you want to follow along with me there, this is what Luke writes. On the first day of the week, which in Jewish culture was Sunday morning, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, and highlight this verse if you've got a pen, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. I want to stop there for a second and actually go back to verse 6. That question or that that statement, why do you look for the living among the dead? And friends, we could do entire series on that one verse because I think that is what, especially in our 21st century Christianity, what we are struggling with so much right now, and why the church feels so divided, and why politics feel so divided, why the world feels so divided, is because we are searching for the living among the dead. And, and that language you could replace with so many different things. But to numb down the question, or to make it easier to understand, what are you looking for to fill you? could be more extreme things such as pornography, alcoholism. It could be things that often we just push aside such as pride or gossip or gluttony. It could be the way we look, the way we dress. It could be what do we identify as? And the world is challenging us to find our identity in something of this world. Whether it's wealth, whether it's sexuality, whether it is riches, whether it is a relationship, social media, how you look, how you post, how you act. How are you looking for the living among the dead? It's a question that these disciples had to wrestle with after the resurrected Jesus. Luke goes on to write in verse 9, when they came back to the tomb, I just have this image in my mind of the women running back, running back to the room that the men were, uh, were in and fearful of, afraid that they were going to be crucified next. And they're just running like, guys, you got to see this. Verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Verse 11, but they did not believe the women. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what 
had happened. In Roman culture, it was a, it was a patriarchy culture. And so men ruled in the highest of levels. They were in charge of the households. They were in charge of the uh, governing, uh, you know, governing ordinances. They were in charge of um, the, the wealth and, and, and the breadwinners. And they were in charge of making sure that um, society functioned. It's not to say that women didn't have or hold positions of authority. There were rare occurrences in the Roman culture. But what I love about this story and what I love about Jesus is that women are so key to the Christ cultural movement that, that he came to establish. And they're the first gospel preachers. They take the message and they run it back. But the men, just like we see in the Roman society, thought that their words were nonsense. And so they failed to believe. But Peter... Don't miss this detail. Peter got up and he ran to the tomb. Why? Well, just a few days before, Peter had had the opportunity to testify on Jesus' behalf while he was on trial. And rather than doing so, Peter denied even knowing him. And then he runs away in shame. And so perhaps Peter is running to the tomb because the last three days he has been filled with shame and agony and depression and just struggling. And he's like, I gotta see if this is real. And so he runs to the tomb. He doesn't find the body of Jesus. Let's pick up the story of verse 13. Now that same day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village called Emos about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, I love this question. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And then Jesus' response, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, a powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but did not find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but they did not see Jesus. And then Jesus rebukes them. He says this in verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
I love this conversation that Jesus has with these disciples. And then he shows them how he was present since the dawn of time. Matthew Henry's commentary actually puts it this way, a golden thread of gospel grace, I love that imagery, runs through the whole web of the Old Testament. Christ is the best expositor of Scripture, and even after his resurrection, he led people to know the mystery concerning himself, not by advancing new notions, no, 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 but by showing how the Scripture was fulfilled and turning them to the earnest study of it. Jesus was so intentional throughout his life about fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. And when he's on the cross and he says, it is finished, it's this Greek word to telestai, which comes from the perfect tense verb telio. And it means it is accomplished. What I came to do is finished. But why it's a perfect tense verb, and this is just a grammar lesson for those who weren't here on Good Friday. The perfect tense verb is in the past, but we're experiencing the results still to this day. And so when Jesus says, it is finished, what he came to accomplish, we're still experiencing those results. And the blessings of a new covenant, a new agreement with God that was established through Jesus' life. And so he walks them through these Old Testament prophecies and stories. And it begged me to ask the question, what was Jesus referencing? Perhaps Jesus pointed them to the second book in the Bible, in Exodus, chapter 3, where Moses found himself at a burning bush. You see, what had just happened is Moses had killed somebody in Egypt and then fled for his life, married, and then became a shepherd, chased after one of his lost animals and found himself at a bush where God then meets him as a flame. And tells him, Moses, take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. And then God calls Moses, and he anoints Moses, and he says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. Because the Israelites have been enslaved for over 400 years, and I have heard their cries. And it is time for you, through me, to go and rescue them. Perhaps Jesus then pointed him to Exodus chapter 14. Just 11 chapters past this first story, we find the Israelites are now free from slavery and they are entering into the wilderness, but they have to cross the sea to get there. And Pharaoh, who had released the Israelites, became furious and wants to go back on his word. So he charges after them with chariot armies. And Moses sees the chariot armies coming after them, and he's got millions of Israelites behind him, and he hears God's voice saying, the Lord will fight for you. Chapter 14, verse 14, you need only to be still. If I'm Moses, I'm probably thinking, counteroffer. <laughs> Some swords would be nice. <laughs> but no, 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 then God steps in and saves the Israelites. Perhaps Jesus was talking to these disciples and showed them just a few books. Book number six, the book of Joshua. And he turns them to chapter two in the scriptures and he shows them about how God chose an unlikely person through Rahab who was a prostitute and not even an Israelite. 
called her to betray her nation and save the people of God. Perhaps Jesus walked in through the psalm, one of the most famous psalms that Brad taught on, Psalm 22, where David writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? But if we stop there, it seems like a pretty depressing psalm. Relatable, but depressing. But David doesn't stop there, and neither did the Hebrews who were reading the scriptures. No, just a few verses later, David writes, God, you did not leave me in my despair. You did save me. There is triumph. Perhaps Jesus walked these disciples through Jeremiah 31, where Jesus is declaring that there is going to be a new covenant through the blood of Christ that is going to establish eternity for all. This free gift. Perhaps Jesus walked them through prophet of Isaiah or the prophets of Jeremiah or the prophets of, of Micah and Malachi just walking through verse after verse after verse and words after words and prophecy after prophecy showing that he was the same God in John 3.16 where John writes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son all who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But then verse 17 is so important too. For God did not send his son to the condemn the world, no, 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 but to save the world through him. Jesus was showing these disciples, friends, the same God of old is the same God of new. This is our God. We serve the same God of David, the same God of Mary, the same God of Joseph, the same God of Hagar, the same God of Peter, who's running to the tomb filled with shame, filled with discouragement, filled with doubt, wondering if Jesus had resurrected, and he did. That's our God. I want to invite the worship team to come up to close. We're going to walk through Romans chapter 10. And friends, there's so much here. <laughs> so much good that God is doing. But I know so many of you are struggling. Perhaps you are walking through doubts right now. I want you to know you're welcome here. Perhaps you're struggling with addiction. I want you to know you're welcome here. Perhaps you're battling mental illness, depression, thoughts of suicide, you're welcome here. Perhaps you're grieving the loss of a loved one, wondering how will I go on without them, you're welcome here. Jesus welcomed the sick, the lost, the hurting. He challenged them to accept his free gift of salvation. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and they are uh, actually doing pretty well. They're under intense persecution, but they're not experiencing the same struggles as the Corinthians. And Paul is penning this letter from prison. He writes in chapter 10, says this in verse 1 that I just love. Brothers and sisters, 
My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And friends, that's my heart today too. That's why I pastor. And we know it's not just Israel that God is concerned with. Paul goes on in his mission to tell the good news of the free gift of salvation to the Jews and the Gentiles, to the people in Asia, to the people in America, to the people in Africa, all over the world. It's our desire that we may be saved. He goes on to say this in verse 2, For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit then to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Verse 5. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says this. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. I'll explain that in a bit. Or verse 7, or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. You see, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. And so what Paul is saying here is, who then, verse 6, will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Bringing Christ down earth. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to raise Christ from the dead. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. And then verse 9 tells it all. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Friends, Peter, not put to shame. If you're doubting, no shame. If you're struggling with mental illness, leave the shame at the door. If you're walking and battling thoughts of suicide, leave the shame at the door. If you're having sex outside of marriage and you're struggling with the guilt of that, leave the shame at the door. If you're walking and navigating an identity crisis, asking the question, who am I? Leave the shame at the door. Paul goes on to say this, verse 11. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And then this part, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is my hope And my purpose to help hurting people find hope. I know some of you are struggling. Some of you are doubting. Some of you have lived through hell. And you survived. 
Perhaps this Jesus guy is all new and foreign to you. And you're here. I'm grateful for you. And I want you to know that this is a safe place, regardless of what you walked into the door experiencing. But we're not going to leave you there. No, no, no. Like Jesus said to the woman at the well, now go and sin no more. There's heart transformation that Paul is talking about here. So here's how I want to close. I want to pray for us. And friends, there's no perfect way to pray to ask God to come into your heart through the Holy Spirit. There's no perfect way to fix all of your problems. No, even after you pray, you'll still experience hell on earth. You'll still doubt, you'll still struggle, you'll still be tempted, but there's hope. And that hope is the resurrected Jesus. You close your eyes and pray with me. Perhaps this might be your first time praying something like this, asking God to come into your heart through the Holy Spirit. If it is, just repeat after me. And if not, you may still repeat after me. But just, if you wouldn't mind opening your palms to the sky. Pray with me. Hey, God, it's me. your friend and I'm a mess I'm prideful I'm lustful I'm sinful and God for so long I have ran from you and pushed you aside and doubted your words and yet you have called me home I've struggled with mental illness. I've struggled with suffering. But I surrender those to you. God, I need you. Forgive me. Hold me. Thank you for the free gift of your son. I accept this gift, and I ask that you give us the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen.